Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Whitetail Theories podcast. Today, we got special guests, Jim Denzine and Charlie Anderson, co-owners of The Season Butcher. What's going on, fellas? How you doing there, sir? Another beautiful day in Wisconsin. I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. So today on the, on the podcast, we're really just going to be kind of doing an overview. We got a lot of things planned for the future with these guys, but I wanted to introduce the season butcher as a new partner to the service side team. So, uh, Jim, do you kind of want to give us the rundown of how the season butcher got started and kind of what the vision was with the season butcher? Sure. Absolutely. Yep. So it's, uh, <clears throat> trying to give you the 50,000 foot view, everybody. Um, it was actually just a little over a year ago. It was October. Uh, Charlie and I have been home butchering for years uh, with, with the crew of guys that we, we hunt with and hang with and, and had along the way, you know, formulated, you know, tweaking products and, and purchased equipment, all that sort of thing. But it was October uh, last fall, 2020. And we had went in to buy our, our goodies, right? Our, our products that we needed because we were putting a big push on to make some snack sticks and summer sausage for uh, the rut hunt and uh, the gun deer season. So we got into where we buy the product. Long story short, um, where we went, a new owner had taken over and we've been buying here for decades. And we just got into a conversation and the gentleman said, Hey, how, how could I market online? And that, that, that just absolutely um, took a conversation down a path that we could have, you know, that morning when we woke up, we never could have forecasted. Right. So um, we ended up in deep conversations over the course of October, November um, with this individual and long story short, out of that spawned the season butcher. And we went on the search for, you know, web developer. A lot of times we joke with people because they see the website today, but they have zero perspective on what goes in, as you know, um, working at service side, what goes into actually, you know, launching that business, you know, going down all the rabbit trails that that entails. But the vision was simple um, in those early stages. And I, I say that like it was years ago and it's not, I mean, the whole concept was very simple. We, from day one, we wanted to cater. And, th and this is really, I think what you're asking, we wanted to cater to the hunter and the homesteader, right? That we, when we made our, when we did our home butchering, when we made products for our friends and family, um, over the course of years, we, we had a certain standard that we had become accustomed to, like quality is really key for us. And we'd gotten over the years, this guy right here, he'd gotten very, very good at the home butchering and all the smoking and the mixing and, and tweaking the seasonings, that sort of thing. And so we were rather excited and and that's where the taste, the tradition, you see on our logo, that little, that little phrase, taste the tradition, because the season butcher, we were all about tradition being, you know, guys that were raised in the outdoors. I mean, literally my dad would tell me stories that, you know, in a car seat, he'd strap, strap a life jacket around me, right? When I was in the boat, as soon as I could walk going with him, I remember checking traps, the hunting, the fishing, the excursions. And that's the way my brothers and I were raised and, and the guys that are part of our crew, very similar stories. But we, um, 
the field to table concept of, hey, we want to help people bring this from the harvest, right? It just, the more we dove into this, and of course, we've been addicts of hunting shows and videos over the last three decades ourselves, but everything was about the kill, right, Torn? So right. we we wanted to make it from, okay, we get it, you know, home to kill, and you can you can watch as much stuff as you possibly, you know, have time for on that concept. But that whole field to table concept and and not just for the seasoned veteran, I'm talking the novice or there's a lot of, you know, your organization, there's other organizations that are into hunter recruitment, right? And being a resource for these people to literally come through video, through media, to be able to learn how to do just the basics, whether it's you know, make venison hamburger, whether it's, you know, start with uh, things like breakfast sausage. And then as they feel comfortable, you know, go to go to a few, you know, more advanced steps with the smoking and that sort of thing. So I don't know if I answered your question there, but that was that was kind of a brief overview. No, you did. Absolutely. So, uh, Charlie, I got a question for you. So I think you're seeing it a lot today where hunters are trying to make that crossover instead of taking their their harvest to the butcher shop you're seeing people wanting to do it themselves wanting to have the full like fingers on the pulse at what point did you get into that and then what were some of your trials and tribulations learning the craft if you will well it it actually started at a very very young age um i actually grew up with my grandpa and grandma uh, my dad wasn't around much, so my grandpa actually started me out when I was about eight, ten years old, and you know that kind of built the little drive. It was always my grandpa and my uncles were out going out out into the field. They're always hunting, fishing, and I'm always I was that little boy, you know. As they would leave, I was running out of the house, grabbing my coat, trying to put my rubber boots on, and just want to tag along. Well, here in Wisconsin, you can't hunt until you're twelve. Well, finally, I begged them and begged them year after year. I wanted to go. Well, they finally took me at about the age of 11 for my very first time. Just, you know, to come along with. And that's where I really got to experience my first hunt. And looking back on it now, I really realized how much patience they had. I remember sitting in a, you know, we're, we're talking before climbing tree stands, before there was trail cameras, before there was cocky guns and scopes. It was the old-fashioned 30-30 lever action with the iron sights, you know. And you just found a good spot on public land, sat down next to the bottom of the tree, and you just waited. Well, me being a kid, I always got to play in the snow, this and that. You know, we're on our third day of hunting, and I was 11. I'm there with my grandpa. And yeah, there's about six inches of snow. We cleared it around the base of the tree. Typical kid, I fell asleep. <laughs> and I remember my grandpa, he touches my stomach and he whispers, Charlie, there's three deer coming. Slowly wake up, slowly wake up, Charlie. So me, ball cap on, you know, I kind of wasn't totally prepared, gloves a little wet little half frozen to the ground. I roll up just a little bit. I move too much. There goes the three deer. And I felt so bad. But that's where the hook of it kind of started. You know, it, it 
we got so close, but we didn't have success. Well, when it finally came to my year and I turned 12 for the very first time, I knew what to do. You know, I finally had the 30-30 in my hand and I didn't fall asleep and I was a little more prepared. And that first year I got myself about a year and a half old doe and it kind of really started right there. You know, I got to actually process that deer and experience with my family members, you know, the success of my first deer and the excitement and the hugs. And, you know, we brought it back home to grandma and we made canned venison out of it. You know, we cooked up a few steaks right there and it was actually a, a big, a big thing in my house. You know, I didn't grow up with a big fancy house or anything. You know, we were actually kind of poor on money and had the wood stove right in the middle of the, the house and everything to heat the house. So bringing this home, it actually meant quite a bit. And we took very good care of it and prepared it lots of different ways. And that's kind of how it started, you know. I feel like that's uh, kind of how a lot of people traditionally get started. And all three of us kind of have that traditional grassroots start where we went either through a grandfather or a father or something like that. And you're not seeing that quite as much anymore, at least in my interactions with new hunters. It's they want to source their own organic wild meat. Uh, they want to have sustainable meat in their in their food or in, in their freezers, in their fridges, that kind of stuff. So I wanted to ask you too, why do you think hunters don't process their own meat? Well, some of the guys, you know, they say, I, I don't have time or, you know, some of them, they're scared to try it because they don't want to screw it up. So that that's the nice thing about doing yourself in the technology nowadays is there's a lot of how to's, you know, groups like what you got us, you know, there's getting to be a lot more resources out there that you can figure out how to do this. Um, to be honest with you, I think there's a, there's a big gap. There's like a, like a gray area where you can see some of the younger generation wanting to learn this, but me being around 35 years old, I think there's a group of people about my age or in between here, give or two, that they really didn't, they didn't really, they got into the technology when all the new technology come out and it kind of skipped a generation. So there's a little disconnect in, in a, seven to eight year span, I think there. I 100% so the agree with you. Haven't came through. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. And I, I think you're onto something there too, with uh, hunters being scared of potentially screwing up their, their meat. And it is, it is important because I mean, you're taking an animal's life and you want to get the most amount of it uh, that's consumable back to your, back to the table, right? So how do you, how do you give somebody the courage, Jim, to, to make that plunge? Like, what would be your advice? Number one, it's, it's, it's actually quite, you know, I, I was going to say simpler. It's far more simple than what they've maybe allowed to manifest in their, in their mind or their mind's eye. I, 
it's a repetitive process. It, it reminds me, you know, we were weaned on it, right? I, my dad would, he'd kill a deer and my dad always had to work. It seemed like when I was younger and, and literally, and people might laugh at this, but deer would be hanging in the garage and my dad would tell my brothers and I, I'd like that skinned and, and quartered and deboned and, and cut up and put away before I get home from work. You know, mm-hmm. might've been a Saturday, whatever it was, believe it or not, sometimes we learned when we were young trial by fire and, you know, you might not make the perfect cut, but if you simp- if you simplify it down, actually knocking a deer apart, as we call it, it's not that hard. So what if, so what if a piece of meat ends up not being shaped you know, like a butcher may cut it. Right. And eventually once you go through that process a couple of times, you realize that it's, it's not, it's just not that hard to skin a deer, quarter them up and debone that animal. And one of the things, you know, because you, you have a valid point is that we're in the process, as you know, we've discussed many hours actually between Charlie and I and yourself, we're going to actually continue, you know, we're making videos. Charlie's going through the process to edit a lot of content right now, but over the course of, of weeks and months, and I, I would even say six, 12, 18, 24 months, because it takes time. Rome wasn't built in a day that our goal is to be a massive resource. And then of course, once we met you and started comparing notes, you know, gathering that content, putting that content together. So somebody literally can start at zero right? The novice hunter, maybe they're a new recruit into the hunting world and you can grab them by the hand through video and, and teach them how to do this. But you just, you have to be patient, right? With, with the newbie and you want to slow down to the point, you know, where maybe for the, for the seasoned veteran, that content might be too slow or even boring, but we've got to stop, right? As guys that have been doing this for decades and really sit back and, and, um, I'm searching for the right words. It, it can actually be very fulfilling to help the novice hunter, whether it's a child, whether it's a friend, you know, call it a new recruit per se, if that terminology makes sense into the hunting world. When you help somebody else put meat in their freezer and you watch them, um, you watch the joy that they experience that, that whole experience from, literally, like we say, from field to table, right? And Charlie likes to say they've started their tradition from that point forward. Once they overcome that hurdle that you're speaking to, they, they are now on their journey as a hunter, right? Mm-hmm. And they will start to pass on those traditions to other friends, maybe their children, uh, maybe a niece, maybe a nephew, whoever it may be, and teamwork. You know, as a hunting community, I, I, I really, I can't imagine if somebody really needed help, right, to process an animal, that they couldn't reach out to someone. Like, I mean, if, if we had an email come in, just hypothetical, that said, hey, I just harvested this, this deer, and I'm new to this, and I want to do this myself, with these crazy things, they could literally do a video call and I could walk them through it from 10 hours away, right. Over a video call, how to do it. Right. And and I feel that confident that, that, that it's that simple for that new person. So, you know, for your listeners, Torin, 
you know, what I, what I would want them to do is just, Hey, relax, focus on getting the job done, right. Having fun on that hunt, making that kill shot, recovering that animal and then relax. It's, it's your, so many people are overthinking it. I wanted to add to what he said. Um, you know, that problem that, that you spoke to, I, this may, this may be a little confrontational for some, I, I know a lot of lazy hunters torn. I'm just going to say it right. Mm -hmm. They're focused on that, that they've made it about the kill. And I think I know people who I think drop the ball from the field to the table part. It's just easy. Hey, I'm busy. Hey, I'm tired. I got out of the woods late. I'm just going to run this thing to someone that can do it for me. Right. Right. And Hey, you know what? If, if you have the extra money to do that, great. Right. But I know of a guy last fall, we referenced it in one of the videos that, that you've, you've seen, um, that we talk about the economics, meat making economics. And he went to pick up, he had taken two deer in that he shot just a couple days apart and between the processing, right. The skinning of it. And then he had only two products made summer sausage and snack sticks. That bill was over $700. That's crazy. Well, it, that is nuts. I mean, the average person, you know, who's a weekend warrior or maybe trying to spend their vacation wisely, they can't afford that sticker shot. Yeah, no, definitely. And I want to dive into that just a little bit. Um, cause I do want to save that for a later podcast down the road, but, uh, Think I so I I've shown probably roughly around ten to fifteen people how to process a whitetail, and almost every single person that I've either helped or they've come to me for help has said that they're scared to mess it up, and I always respond with, "Well, what's the worst that's going to happen?" All right, so your steak doesn't look perfectly like a steak. All right, <laughs> well, you know what you can do? You can slice that up. If you screw it up and just make it into jerky and do better on the next one, like the meat's still there and the jerky still tastes delicious and there's not an issue. You're hundred percent right, Jim, with what you said, people way, way overthink it and they just need to take a step back. What's the worst that can happen? All right. If you, if you screw up a cut, it goes into the grinder pile. You just beat me to it. Absolutely. That's that, that is what you do with it right there. And then the more experience you get, the better you're going to get at it. Well, I was going to say one of the videos that's going to land in your lap in the, in the coming weeks, we, we did six of them a week ago today. Um, but two of them were hamburger videos. And you might say, what do you mean a hamburger video? Right. And the first one, we actually laid out um, a large bowl of hamburger that we had run through the grinder. And a lot of your viewers I think this will be good information for him. But if you look at it, Charlie even joked with me. He's like, oh, my gosh, that hamburger is as lean as it. I've never seen hamburger that lean. Well, for my wife and I and our family, we've gotten used to. I just, you know, again, decades ago, I grind the hindquarters for my hamburger. Not all my deer that I take during the hunting season. But I know roughly, Shannon will tell me roughly what we need for hamburger, right? What we want to put up for hamburger. So I'll kind of shave that number back. 
but it's exactly what you're saying. And, and I take the best cuts and grind them. Right. And some people I've told that to, they're like, well, I've never thought of that. And I'm thinking, what do you mean? You've never thought of that. I mean, what do you do? Well, I grind the front shoulders and I'm like, well, don't you make snack sticks and summer sausage and breakfast sausage and bratwurst and, and hot dogs? What do you, well, no, we don't make any of that. Well, why not? That's what, that's what we do with it, right? That's what the seasoned butcher is all about is we use the, what people call trimmings, right? Because mm. I'm going to make this really simple, Torn, because you, you're, you're looking at really two different buckets, right? If I had two ice cream pails, one is for what I'm going to call hamburger trimmings. One is for sausage trimmings. Mm -hmm. so we understand the difference. And a lot of people, that's where the confusion comes in is just, it's as simple as being able to look at a piece of meat and say, you know what? I think if I had company over that piece might taste a little gamey, whether it does or not. I mean, that's kind of the thought process, right? And that has a little bit of a fat content to it, or it looks like, okay, that's, that's the eye test that goes in the, the sausage bucket, right? If it looks like a really good piece of meat and it's not a steak or a chunk of the back strap, that's going to go in the hamburger bucket. And when you dumb it down to really making it that simple, people catch on and say, okay, this is what I'm, I'm just, I'm pulling my cuts out, right? And then I'm making a decision. What do I want to make out of this? Is it hamburger or is it future grind meat for making different types of sausages? No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that would make for some really, really great video content there. Um, my one friend that, so that reminds me, uh, my friend grinds an entire whitetail into burger. Backstraps, okay. tenderloins, everything. But that's the way that his family prefers venison. So when uh, the reason that I'm bringing this up is, so when you're getting into this kind of experiment, try to do a bunch of different little things so that you can figure out what you like and maybe then what your skill sets are and what your skill sets aren't. And then you can work on those things that maybe you're not quite as proficient at. And then you'll figure out, okay, I really, really like, lean burger okay so i can grind up uh, a, a ham and that's what we're gonna that's all i need i can make lasagna i can do whatever i want with it burger blah 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 okay maybe i don't like such lean meat uh then like you said now you're looking at potentially your sausage uh you cut it with some pork that kind of deal this is kind of the the information that i think a lot of people don't know and it's not really out there, at least as far as that I've seen. Yeah, I, I would agree. I was just going to look at you and say this. I mean, heck, he can always edit this out, right? Um, let me word it this way. Last year, I have two, two adult children, young adult children, and my wife. And so the kids are just, you know, our daughter starts um, post high school literally this coming Tuesday and my son is an apprentice lineman. So until he figures out where, where the job's going to take him, he's still operating out of our home. But last year between the four of us, cause my wife hunts as well, a little bit, my daughter, we, we, we killed 14 deer. 
whitetails. And when I tell people that, I get the most bizarre looks like, what on God's green earth do you do with them? Well, we can some of them. We make hamburger out of some. We make, you know, a couple different hot dogs, brats, ring bologna, summer sausage, snack sticks, jerky, steaks, roasts, backstraps, tenderloin. I mean, I could, you know, all the spaghettis, the soups, I could go on and on. Mm -hmm. Charlie, you've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old, and I think, don't, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, you put up seven of them. I did. Yes. And indeed. And, you know, with my little five-year-old, he might actually be able to make it out this year and go hunt a little bit, believe it or not. I asked him, I says, Jackson, how many deer you want to shoot? Well, you know, being five and kids with their numbers, I want to shoot 71 deer, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, that's a lot of deer, Jackson. He, I says, Jackson, what, what do you want with them deer? Well, daddy, we need to shoot 71 deer so we can make a lot of jerky. I really like jerky. Mm -hmm. Well, he's a prime example of he's only five years old and I got a two and a half year old and they're both boys. The youngest one runs around the house. Deer, daddy, deer. I see deer. It's just, he, they're growing up with this tradition and you know, they're, they don't know any different. I mean, I, I introduced them to snack sticks, different things, summer sausage, all different kinds of wild game, and they're becoming part of the tradition. They're going to be able to, when they get old enough, hopefully pass this tradition down that I showed them that I got shown from my grandpa, my buddies and friends, some tricks and tips, and hopefully this is how the tradition of years and passing it down and knowledge is made um here at the butcher that's what we're about if you know if you're unfortunate enough and you didn't have somebody to show you we're here to help you out to get the knowledge don't be bashful don't be shy our videos um are meant for showing people what to do it's no different than planting a garden, you know, people that go out that never planted a garden before are planting gardens. Now they've never planted a seed, right? But you know what? They can go to a store and buy vegetables, but why do they plant a garden? They want to know where it comes from, how is handled, how is processed and what's done with it. And that's the pride in their garden. It's no different when you, if it's with your wild game, you know, exactly how it's handled how it's taken care of. And at the end of the day, when you sit down, especially these weekend warriors, because everybody wants to be that girl pit master. Now, not only are they a girl master, but they made the meat also. They provided the meat. It's a big self-satisfaction. The whole process comes full circle. 100%. Yep. Yep, Absolutely. (laughs) Let me ask you this guys. So uh, this has been weighing on my mind a lot lately, and I've seen it as now that I've looked back. I cook a lot of wild game. I mean, so I I shoot roughly anywhere from six to eight whitetails a year, and in one year, they're completely gone. Everything's eaten. But with that many deer that I shoot, I also take the opportunity 
for non-hunters to try wild game. And knowing how to cook wild game, how to process it, in my opinion, in, and in my experiences, has drastically brought non-hunters to lean more so to support hunters. And I think that is something that is drastically overlooked. 100%. I mean, that, what you just said, that's, there's a couple of the rabbit trails there. You're, you're sharing with non-hunters, right? And so they now understand, they understand the sustenance side of what we do, right? Right. That it, that it really, because to put, I was going to go back just a little bit and tie what he said and what I was referencing in a bowl. And, and then with you, I mean, think between the three of us, all those animals are being consumed, right? It's funny because until recently, because of a contact that he has through work, um, we bought a quarter beef. I hadn't bought beef other than once in a while, a steak here and there. I mean, if my wife was sitting here, she could really tell you, but I mean, we've, that's now the second quarter we've been married 33 years torn. We did that one other time. Wow. Okay. In 33 years, when I say that we fill the freezer and, and I'm not, I'm not, this isn't about me. This is about the new hunter. This is about somebody who maybe wants to change the way they've been doing it. Right. I would, I would flip that question to the audience or people that watch this recording in the future. Why wouldn't you do it yourself? The whole concept, I'm going to go all the way back to the first question you asked, what was the vision or why did you start this? Well, that home butchering, by home butchering, it gives you options. You no longer have to go to the locker plant and eat their recipe or how many people you know run around to various locker plants, different locations, trying to find the best summer sausage because they didn't like the one they just paid six bucks a pound for, right? So they're going to the next one or they're asking their, their buddies where they take their meat when you can do it yourself. If you, and, and this, again, this goes down even more rabbit trails, but it's the non-hunter, it's the sustenance for your family. How about landowner gifts? Right. Sharing, huge. sharing with some of these landowners is huge. You walk up and you hand them a package of, of venison hot dogs and you get this odd look and say, well, where did you have those made? Well, I made them myself. I think you're going to really like them. Here's some beer brats that we just made last weekend, right? Because I'm dropping off. We drop off landowner gifts throughout the year. We just don't do it in the fall when we want to show up and do our so-called, Hey, do I have permission again? Right. And because they get to taste that tradition as well. And you wouldn't believe how far that gift goes and how appreciative those landowners can be. Um, Charlie mentioned grandparents, you know, what about people that you have that were part of maybe a previous hunting crew, or you have a a neighbor or a friend, somebody maybe health-wise, they can't get out and do it like they used to, right? How about sharing some of the harvest with them? And, and these are things that people maybe don't even think about. And so there's, there's a lot of fringe benefits that come from that whole field to table concept. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And I want to reiterate that sharing the harvest with the landowner, that is a super hot tip right there. 
that is a great way to maintain uh, permission on properties. I know that actually, firsthand. Actually, actually, can you edit that out? We'd prefer that tip not be shared. <laughs> yeah, I'll make sure I cut <laughs> that out. We we do that quite a bit, and we actually some of the landowners you get to know them really really good, and you're on a pretty comfortable basis. They actually put requests in after a certain amount of time. Venison bacon's one of them. That's that's a pretty big hit. Yeah. Uh, the summer sausage goes over extremely well, and breakfast sausages are big because they're they're yes. simple right who doesn't like who doesn't like great tasting breakfast sausage with with some pancakes and fresh maple syrup and i just i just put that post on service side you know believe it or not on the app that said you know one of the most things that are overlooked is actually wild game breakfast sausage you know believe it or not lots of people don't think about making that you know it's the main focus people are on their snack sticks summer sausage stuff like that and they forget how easy it is actually to make your own breakfast sausage and how good it can taste without a doubt 100 i uh, so quick little side tangent before we move down the road so before i met my fiance she might have had venison a handful of times definitely definitely no more than five times. She absolutely refuses to eat beef now. Just like <laughs> despises it. All she wants is venison. And so last year I went hunting with the trad bow and I was very, very unsuccessful uh, compared to my normal years and said that I'm no longer allowed to hunt with the trad bow, that I need to go back to the compound. That's awesome. Yep. So, uh, yeah, just a little side tangent, but. I want to circle back and get back to the economic side of things. Um, and I just want to go down it and just touch on it a little bit, because I think this is something that's really overlooked, especially now with like what you said, Jim, with COVID and how prices of uh, raised animals have drastically increased the shortage that we went through. Like, so I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the giant was completely empty not a single speck of meat in that giant in 2020 the the like it, it it was the craziest thing i've ever seen it looked like it looked like the world was ending so let's talk about how much money and how much more self-reliant you're going to be going down this this path well for sure i I'm going to tie a comment Charlie made about the kids to this as kind of an opening thought. As a, as a father, you know, I, I would add, and this links to your question here, one of the responsibilities that I took on or felt like I needed to was I could prepare my kids to take care of themselves, right? Right. And part of that is actually being able to feed yourself. I mean, my kids, both of them, Michaela and Wyatt, they know how to live off the land, right? Now, as adults, that choice to continue that tradition is up to them, right? So now go to link that to your question, 2020, because we saw the same thing here in Wisconsin. It was insane as that whole thing unfolded and all the viewers are going to nod their heads. Um because we all witnessed the same thing. You know what? I had friends calling me, you need to get to the store. You need to do this. 
And I just sat back. We sat back and smiled because our freezers were full, Torrin. Right? Mm -hmm. And then you see those prices start to go up. And what's interesting when it comes to me, because we, we also like to, to smoke things like ribs, right? And what did you tell me the other day? Ribs were still St. Louis style. We're seven bucks a pound. Seven bucks a pound for ribs in Wisconsin. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you start thinking, um, you know, again, economics. We're watching all these things happen. And, and really, the short answer is, um, actually, I'm going to go down a slight small rabbit trail here. I actually called a couple butcher shops about two months ago, six weeks, and asked him this question. I just kind of pretended I was a customer, right? And I said, I'm just calling, you know, I always make meat in the fall. I'm just curious, are your prices going to be going up because of pork prices? And all of them said, yes, we're going to, we're going to be raising our prices. We have to, because they were taking it in the shorts, right? And so I sit back and I think, okay, so it, it already costs you five to $6 a pound to do it through the butcher shop, let's say. So why would you not want to make meat depending again, you got to give us some latitude on the cut here when you can do it for anywhere from a dollar, depending on what you're making, let's say to $2, you might, depending on again, casings, we're splitting hairs here. If your pork price was a little higher, you might get up in that 250 a pound range. Um, but you'll do a lot of it in that dollar 75 to two bucks a pound. Why would you not want to save all that money? Because now you're filling the freezer for a heck of a lot less, which gives you more money to, you know, buy your equipment, update that bowl, arrows, broadheads, gas, whatever it may be, cameras, batteries, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then you bring it back to the store. So if you're not, not having to go to the store and buy it, I mean, look at, I don't know what's happening out by you, but just again, my wife for our family does all the shopping, but probably once every other month, I'll go to the grocery store just to kind of browse the meat aisle. It's interesting to me to see ribeyes at $20 a pound. Right? Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, as a hunter, your backstraps are like gold, right? There's one thing I very seldom, if I'll give them away to like my mother, right? I'll give mom back straps, but boy, your back straps, as you know, as a hunter are gold, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to eat bacon wrap, you know, cause most guys call them loins, bacon wrap loins, um, you know, realizing that loin is on the inside, obviously in the back straps, but still that bacon wrap back straps is like, to me is worth 50 bucks a pound. So I, I hear what your fiance is saying. I agree with her a hundred percent. And, um, I'm not saying we don't eat beef because, you know, I just said, I, I bought a quarter. He buys a quarter here and there, but man, our mainstay is that venison. So I, I hope I answered your question there. Yeah, absolutely. By, by chance, do you know how much it costs to basically generally give me a general price range? of what it's going to cost you to process an entire whitetail yourself. Yeah. Well, first of all, to, to hang it up and skin it and knock it apart and debone it is costing you nothing except your time. Right. 
Right. So you save, I mean, most guys, would you say now are paying a hundred bucks a deer roughly? Roughly. Yeah. A hundred bucks a deer. You, you know, might find a guy at 75 here and there, but it, there's very few anymore. Very few. It's a hundred, it's, it's a hundred bucks to get it skinned in Pennsylvania. Just skinned. right. It, it, yeah. Okay. So you're saving that money up front, but to actually the average deer, if you, if you, we've weighed them for years, you know, from yearlings to, you know, a big buck and you throw in your dose. So I'm giving you average poundage here, but you're going to end up with D bone meat roughly in that 45 pounds per deer of D bone meat. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so obviously there's no cost, anything you keep like those back straps or your steaks, your roast, that sort of thing. And so you, just to give you some quick numbers, if you're pork, we just, we just found some pork butts for a dollar 50. So this is really easy math torn. Um, we prefer pork butts when we're mixing venison. That's a, that's a whole nother video or session, right? Right. Because when you're making your stuff, you want to know kind of your mixtures, 50, 50, 70, 30, but it's a little, it's a little more in depth than that because you could be using some guys will say, Hey, I got a guy gave me a bunch of trim off of a pig, right. That they slaughtered and butchered. And I, so my first question is, well, what, what define trim? Is it fat? Yeah, it's fat. Well, you're not going to go 50, 50, right. At that point, if right. that makes sense. Yep. Okay. So let's make sure we're on some common ground. Those pork butts were a dollar 50 on the breakfast sausage we made. That's coming out on video last Friday. We went 50, 50 mix. So divide that buck 50 and half. So in that pound of breakfast sausage, you have 75 cents. Okay. And we, and we package that meat. I mean, you can really go cheap. You can, you can literally take the poundage you want, set it on a table, use a rolling pin, put wax paper over the top of it and underneath it and slide it into your quart size freezer bag. Let's say there's two of you, right? Torn. Yeah. And you, when you thought, just use a pizza cutter and cut it into squares and throw it in the fry pan. That's like easy, simple, right? You had 75 cents a pound into that. Now, if you want to put it into a one pound wild game bag, you can add the cost of that bag. What are those things? Probably five cents a bag. Probably five cents. So you'd have, you'd have 80 cents a pound into that. And you could fill that bag right off of your grinder if you don't have a stuffer right? A one pound, you know, wild game tube. Mm -hmm. um, now, if you're going to do, let's say, for example, brats or bologna or summer sausage, then you're going to have, you know, the cost, well, in the breakfast sausage is the seasoning, right? So 25 pound pack, which, you know, is going to run you anywhere from eight to 10 bucks on the average flavor. So you're looking at another, you know, 50 cents, let's just hypothetically pull a number out 50 cents. You know, you might get into that dollar 50 range on, let's say bratwurst a pound. Mm -hmm. You know, what did we figure on the high end? What did we make the other day that we calculated was a little higher? Hot dogs are a little higher because of the sheep casing. Sheep casing is more expensive than hog casing. Right. So the sheep casing ended up being 50 cents a pound because of that casing, correct? Yes. So 
these are things that when we do the economics videos, we try to, you know, again, though, every product's different. So I'm giving you a range. You can produce, if you just said, what's your range? Maybe this will answer your question easier. A dollar a pound up to about a 225. And okay. anywhere in between, right? Anywhere in between. But that's for the meat you're making that you're turning into so some sort of sausage, right? right? So ultimately, if you made an entire whitetail at roughly, what do you say it was? 45 pounds of deboned meat? Average. Yeah. Average, yes. So you might be somewhere in the 90 to $95 range to at, at the high point to process it yourself, correct? Correct. Correct. If you if you were making sausage out of the whole thing, that you just call it a hundred dollar bill. So you are hanging a deer at the butcher for that price. Correct. Correct. So for the listeners, let that sink in for a little bit. Uh the amount of money that you're going to save could potentially be an Iowa rut hunt or an Idaho elk hunt or whatever. There's cool. definitely a lot of money to be saved is ultimately what the guys are saying. And I'm also trying to reiterate. Well, if you, if I was just taking you, let's use your numbers. You said you put up seven or eight deer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the one, in the one video that, that is going to be sent your way in the near future, the meat making economics one that Charlie's working on. I use the example of four deer. If you shot four average sized deer based on a, um, a grinder, a hand stuffer and a vacuum sealer, you'd invest if you wanted to go all in, right? Like be a pro, those three pieces of equipment, you'd have roughly a thousand dollars invested. Okay. We're, we're, we're not building a watch here. We're having a conversation, right? So you would, with those four animals, you would have your return on investment back for that equipment versus taking it to somebody and having them do it for you with just the, with just the first four animals. Wow. You know, when you think about that. Basically, three years ago with my group of buddies, we sat down in one weekend and we called it a long meat making weekend. We made around 500, 600 pounds of wild game products. And I figured it out. The average price after it was all said and done was like $1.75 that everybody paid. That's the high end, the low end. And then we figured out our equipment, how much it costs, our total equipment, figured that in. And we only came to a little over $2 a pound with buying all brand new equipment. Wow. And for the amount of meat that we figured out, it was cheaper for us to buy a brand new grinder, a brand new stuffer, and a brand new vacuum sealer every year than to take the game that we shoot because we're avid hunters. This is our tradition. We'd love to do this. If we had to take everything we shot into the locker plant, it's way cheaper to buy brand new equipment every year and still be cheaper than the locker plant bill. That's, yep. that's insane. That is insane. Right. I, I know your, your wheels are spinning now, but it's, it's, so he also said something that can work for a lot of um, 
hunting groups, partners, whatever terminology you want to use is in your community with service side. If you have some local guys that can tolerate each other and you know what I mean by that, right? You have to get along, Mm -hmm. but co-oping meat equipment, you can have your ROI like that, right? You know, say four, five, six, seven people go in on that equipment and you're all using it throughout that four to five month hunting season, it's paid for itself immediately. That's now you're right. My wheels are spinning. My wheels are really spinning. Interesting. And this goes back to the first question you asked, because I feel like I pooched that, that whole question, the setup on this podcast. And that is why, and how did you launch You're now throughout the course of our conversation? You're it's, there's so much to this is, we knew what we did and being entrepreneurial, something came our way, right? But then we took that idea and we said, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. And we're going to use education. And that was before we, we hooked up with you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this whole, you know, the season butcher is, is not, not just seasonings, it's education, it's equipment, it's how to use those seasonings, how to use that equipment. You know, we talk about in videos, have a, have a meat making ledger. Some people might say, why would I do that? Um, Because you can put your batch down, your mixing ratio. Did you use pork, you know, pork shoulder roast? Did you use pork butts? Did you use picnic trim? What did you put in there? Kind of how did it look? And how, and then when you're done, ask your family, ask your fiance on a scale of one to 10, how do you like this particular recipe? You know, and if it's, if it's not at least a seven, you know what, pick a different flavor next time. Make notes like, did it, was it, did it have enough pepper? How did that turn? Was it too, you know, you know how it is, Torin, you, you mm-hmm. know, she might like pepper, you might like more mild or vice versa. Make notes of that. That's the magic of home butchering. He likes to add minced garlic. And I love it because him and I, our taste buds are very similar, right? So, but our wives or our children might like it slightly different. No, make it how, right. Make it how you want. You're hundred percent right. So I actually do that. I keep a more or less a, a recipe book and then I manipulate my recipe over and over and over until I get it to what I want and experiment. And that's the beauty of doing it yourself you can experiment and come up with some really, really awesome recipes and creations that somebody over here is going to enjoy. Somebody over there is going to enjoy. And then once like you, you do this for a couple of years, let's just say five years. I mean, you have an entire recipe put, put together. It, it's, it's really astounding yep. looking back on it. Right. A hundred percent. You know, people ask, what did you do prior to where, where we purchased and now own this company? You know, my, my dad growing up, he tried to get recipes from whoever was willing to share them. We tried him and I, over the course of the last 10 to 15 years in our crew, we've tried various brands from say the box stores, right? Your, your bigger retailers. We just weren't happy with it. Right. And we, we'd always come right back to where we were buying it because there was a long standing history and tradition from where our seasonings, uh, by the way, our seasonings, you may not know this, are hand, 
I mean, they're hand packaged, they're handmade, right? So they, you know, these things, um, you know, we, we know where they're sourced. It's locally right here where we live. And so we, we wanted that because we know what's going in it and versus just, you know, find a whatever retailer and trying this jerky's the example that's coming to mind is I, you know, I'd get all excited to make turkey jerky or goose jerky or venison jerky, and then it would never taste right. And, you know, we talk about the jerky we make now, there's no way I'm going to go pay uh, $10 $10 for a three ounce bag of jerky when for roughly $6. So what we make that costs us roughly $6 would cost you like $90 in the store. And our, our jerky is phenomenal. You, you take it to work, your wife takes it to work. We, mine never makes it anywhere because my family would boycott me if I left, you know, if I started giving it away. <laughs> um, so we, we kind of touched on it there, but I'm curious as to if you guys could walk us through uh, a good, better, best home butchering, home butchering setup. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Great question, by the way. You want to take a crack? What well, depends on what you, what you want to invest and where you want to start. I mean, on the low end, you know, I mean, even the, if you have a KitchenAid, they make an adapter, a grinder adapter for your, you can double duty for your KitchenAid. They make little slicers, everything like that. Um, you know, on the small end, you can start out, you know, with the number eight grinder that costs, I mean, be honest with you. I started out with a, I think it was uh 4995 Gander Mountain was my first grinder electric 12 volt button and it screamed. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't going to set the world on fire. I mean, uh, I, I started off with that. I mean, you can be pretty low key. I mean, if it's just you and your wife. Uh, stuff, something small. I mean, you're not going to do lots of pounds. I mean, it was only, I think it was only like five pounds a minute or four pounds a minute. I mean, it was, it was tiny. So you can start on the low key and you can get a, I mean, if you want a vacuum sealer, uh, a simple 50, $60 vacuum sealer. Um, and then a stuffer. I mean, uh, honestly, a, a stuffer is pretty, pretty crucial if you start getting into some things it just makes life way easier compared to the small grinders your product will turn out a lot better with a stuffer and you can start with a five pound stuffer you know you don't need anything fancy um but it's a hand stuffer you know so you're you're going to need some help maybe depending on what you're doing so you don't blow casings and stuff but i mean you can get into it for you know just say probably 300 bucks if you wanted to you know, if you really wanted to just try it small, low key, you know, depending on how fancy you want to get, maybe even a little cheaper, your medium kind of the road kind of deal you're looking at. I know one of the most popular grinders is a number 12. I mean, you get in that middle of the road, the 12 to, you know, size 16, uh, you're in a, to a couple hundred dollar grinder. And, you know, if you bump up to say a 15 pound stuffer, let me you, let me let me interrupt you real quick, Charlie. So, can you explain to the listeners that don't know what is going to be the difference between the the eight, the twelve, and the sixteen grinder? Because I think that is something that definitely confuses a lot of people. 
Number eight is on the small side. It's a usually electric grinder. It's about 110 volt kind of grinder. Number eight is actually the size of the throat and the plates that it takes. Um, you're looking at, it, it's the smallest one it makes. And as you go up higher with the numbers is the bigger it gets. Um, our personal grinder that we use here is a number 32. So, I mean, it rips out meat like no tomorrow. And I believe they make one size bigger until you get into the commercial grade stuff. I mean, you got to be pretty serious to get into the commercial grade stuff. So somebody that's doing um, maybe like five to 10 deer a year, are you thinking more so like an eight or should they bump up to that, that 16? An eight is too small. If you're a guy that religiously can kill and I mean, you know what I'm saying? There's guys every year that can, no matter what, easily they have that knot, can kill that five to six deer kind of deal, even four deer. They're, they're pretty much guaranteed for it. I would go right to a number 32. Oh, really? Okay. Believe it or not. A number, thir a number 32 for time-wise is it, it's going to last a lifetime. These grinders is pretty much a one-time investment and it will last you. It's something you're going to be able to pass down to your kids 99% of the time. I mean, up here, you can see them on marketplace and Craigslist and stuff. And they were, I mean, there's grinders 40, 50 years old, 60 years old that people are using yet. You know, I mean, they last a long time for your investment. So this, this just ain't something that you can, you know, that's going to wear out in a couple of years. But the, I, if I can add to that, if I can add to that, Torn, I'm going to answer it slightly different way. Is it if your mindset is I'm sticking my big toe in, that's one thing. If you know this is something you're going to do, and and your budget is flexible, I would get the best equipment you can at the point of beginning because it pays for itself so quickly. Then you don't have that buyer's remorse. Hey, I bought a number eight or I bought a 12 and I really should have bought, you know, let's say a 22 or a 32, you know, our, I should have stepped up to a better vacuum sealer, let's say, um, you know, the hand stuffer versus, you know, a motorized stuffer. And these are things that we'll cover on video as well, where we can show the difference in the equipment. But I would get the best one if your budget's flexible. And then if somebody's watching this and, and, and the budget's tight, don't be afraid to, to email Torrent at Serviceide or put a message up on the, on the board and say, hey, what do you recommend? You can always ask for help. I mean, you know, there, you can get help in making that decision on that purchase. Right. And these, this is all equipment that you guys sell too. So they can go directly to you guys and get it straight from the horse's mouth as well. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, <laughs> I was on a call earlier today. I actually have a very important conference call next Thursday that we're very excited about. Um, I just, I can't go into details till after that, you know, is yay or nay. I mean, it's 95%. It's a yay. And I'll, I'll even bring you into the loop when that happens, but, that that'll be a very positive thing for the seasoned butcher and and service side to be frank with you so um it's something that we've been working on for a while 
But um, the, the issue with equipment, and everybody knows this, is shipping charges, right? Mm-hmm. That the ones winning, when you have heavy equipment, the ones winning that game are UPS or the Postal Service. So yes, the answer is yes, we have a solution. Not all the heavy equipment's actually on our site. We've got all the accessories, the, the grinder plates, the blades, uh, stuffing tubes. We're loading up some, some more stuffing tubes, you know, all the bags, vacuum sealer bags, that kind of stuff. We actually have the equipment. We've held off listing that stuff, even though we have it. So if somebody were to message you and say, hey, I'm looking for this, this, and this, we can certainly accommodate that. We, we have the stuff. But we've been we've been working on a really, really good solution for everyone involved. So and, and you know, you're in business, you can't you, you, you don't want to run on too tight of margins and you certainly aren't here to lose money. Right. Right. Yeah, no. All right. Uh, Charlie, I want to hear the the knock it out of the park like this is the ultimate butcher setup. The ultimate Knock it out of the park, butcher setup, even for a group of guys, is if you have a number 32 grinder, a 30-pound stuffer, and the reason why I say a 30-pound stuffer, automatic with the foot pedal, is most of the batches, wherever you buy your seasoning, hopefully you buy it from the seasoned butcher, but if you buy it anywhere else, most of them are packaged for 25 pound batch. And when you go and add the extra water to it or anything else, it expands. So don't go out and buy a 20 pound stuffer or a 25 pound stuffer and think that you're gonna fit 25 pounds of meat in it because they are not built that way. You buy the 30 pound stuffer so you can fit a 25 pound batch in. And then for a vacuum sealer, you either want to get a LEM 500, which is compact, or a VP215 chamber. And it depends on how much you move your processing sites. If you're a guy that needs a vacuum sealer to go to Canada with you, if you go on hunts to multiple different states and you want to bring that sealer with you, I would suggest going with the LEM uh, 500 and you, it's portable it only weighs probably about four to five pounds it's compact and it seals nice and tight uh the chamber weighs about 90 pounds and it's pretty much where you set that up it's you're not moving it wow what about uh what about a slicer or a, a bandsaw well it the bandsaw pretty much uh you don't use them for wild game okay that's kind of that's kind of taboo when it comes to deer now if you're a guy and you're going to be processing and you're actually going to be doing your own farm animals your own pig stuff like that all day long look into getting a bandsaw and i would suggest actually getting going crazy and getting a little commercial grade bandsaw so they hold up i mean you're looking at two to three thousand dollars they're they're not cheap but they can hold their weight when you got to cut up your own beef. Around here in Wisconsin, around here in Wisconsin, actually, lots of our dairy farms actually uh, haven't made it through, and lots of guys are going to building their own beef herd. 
And what they've done is they take their milk house and they do their own butchering and they set their milk house up into a meat shop. And that's where they keep their bandsaws and all the stuff like that. Gotcha. So what makes the bandsaw taboo with wild game? Uh, well, when, when it comes to deer, stuff like that. Yeah, the whole CWD thing and the little bit of paranoia. You know, we're not going to go down that rabbit trail and debate. Gotcha. You know, that whole science thing. Um, but, you know, do, do I worry, you know, do we cut through, you know, the backbones? No. Do I still occasionally make uh, ribs, venison ribs? Absolutely. I don't, I don't run from that. Um, but yeah, we, we just, you know, the, the cutting through the bones on a deer is, you know, not the same as say a cow either, as far as that, that taste. Um, but that's, you know, I, I don't think it's needed either on, on the wild game, frankly. And, you know, if you're going out West, you're, I see some of the guys packing elk out where they don't debone them. Frankly, the elk that I've shot you know, over the years, I, I prefer not to haul bones out of the woods if I can help it. I mean, you got to know your state game laws, that sort of thing. But if I, you know, if I can, if I can walk out with meat, that's a lot easier pack, right? Right. Just depends on how big a hurry you're in state game laws. I mean, you, you always have to be cognizant of that. Um, they do allow us in our state now to pack, pack animals out, but they want them in so many pieces and you got to, you got to take it all out. Right. So, um, but yeah, I just don't, I mean, you can chime in as well. I, I just, I don't think it's needed. And I think that cost can go into some other pieces of equipment. That's not really for your novice hunter. You know, I mean, not the, I honestly, I don't know anybody that owns a band bandsaw just for cutting up deer. Um, most, most everybody that I know that own one, they do, they're not novice. They're, they're cutting pigs, they're cutting beef and, you know, they'll use it for some of the other things like that. It's just not specific to deer anyways, at least around our parts. I, I forget that, uh, sometimes, uh, the whole, the whole CWD thing, I forgot how hard it was pushed in Wisconsin. Like we have it here too, but like you guys really, really got it pushed hard out there. And I mean, you can choose to believe whatever you want, but, uh, right. I mean, that's that's a whole nother rabbit hole we'll stay out of that for now yeah right I'm, I'm sure we're thinking the same thing but it uh yeah it's 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 ridiculous i mean that that probably gives you the answer you know what we think so yeah for sure all right fellas we're working on an hour here um is there any kind of closing thoughts that you guys want to touch on before we hop off well uh, just don't be scared to ask questions. Don't be scared to reach out. Even, even if it's the service side or us, don't be, don't be scared to ask for help. Don't, don't be bashful. Um, it's actually not, it's easy. Once you start getting your toe in the water, pretty soon you're going to want to jump in. Uh, my wife calls it, I'm assessed. I, I just, <laughs> No matter what I do, I can make the best batch of whatever you want. And I always say, yep, out of a scale one to 10, it's a number seven. Mm -hmm. I never, no matter in my own mind, no matter what everybody says, I'll never reach a 10. It's just one of them things. I just keep on uh, trying to get better and better and better. 
and you'll get hooked on it too. It's kind of like cooking, you know? I 100% yeah, agree I was, with that. Yeah, I was going to say in closing, just because this was kind of a meet and greet, you know, setup where, you know, for those of you watching, Torn did not give us any questions ahead of time. He said, I want all off the cuff answers. Um, you'll notice that as you get to watch our content, when we, it's interesting when we started this company and we spent, you know, the first seven months, you know, I, we were talking this morning, you know, dig, dig in the basement, pouring the footings, putting up the basement walls. I mean, every, everything that you see today, but along the way, we always knew we were going to film and educate. Right. And so, you know, the, then the purchase came for the 4k cameras and the action cams. And, and of course you're aware of Tacticam and those kinds of things, you know, the tripods, all the things. And, and now, you know, you know, getting the next step is get, get better lighting for, for this, area here in podcast equipment, but there was things, you know, we had a priority list of gear, but we, none of us were interns. You know, when you watch our videos, this was literally trial by fire, um, learning how to run a camera, download this, the editing. I've watched him, you know, the things that, that he's doing now and talking to guys like you and other people that are willing to lend a hand on that whole thing. I guess my disclaimer is you know, like Will Primo says, this isn't Hollywood and we're not, we're not about, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to sit down and watch our stuff for the information, you're going to love it. If you want to sit and grade us against, you know, some professional video off, you know, a hunting show with professional hunters, um, we're probably going to fail that test. That, but that's not what we're here for. We're here for that guy or gal that, that has a passion for the outdoors and they want to live from field to table and create their own tradition. That's what we're all about. And I want to make that abundantly clear because there's always people that want to make some sort of comment or, you know, smart offer, you know, it's all done in jest, whatever. Okay. We just, we just know that we're on a mission because I think there's a greater cause here. And that is um, the whole hunting community as a whole in growing our sport and preserving our sport and our heritage for the long term, the long haul, because there's, frankly, folks, and we all know this, there's people out there, they do not like us at all. And, you know, Charlie and I, we really don't care, but we want to do it right. And we want to help guys like you, Torn, and your audience, and anybody else that's willing to listen. That's what we're about. Yeah, absolutely. you come and look at our, if you come and look at our channel, you'll see, you may come on there and you'll see a bunch of meat making videos. You'll also see we have some mixed in entertainment of some hunts and that's just to actually show you guys that we're just real guys we we hunt just like everybody else we're just we're not sitting here just telling you about it we actually live this the extra entertainment on there besides the how-tos is just show you how we go about our lives and what we do it's it's as reality tv as you can get and in the crew that we've got that was one thing we vowed to do was you know, and, and you get to know me, Tor, and I'm not, I'm not a funny guy. It's not in my nature, right? I'm all, all business and all serious. And maybe that's being in my fifties, right? And the younger guys are, are better at the humor and, and all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's, it, it, we're showing it exactly the way we do it. It is reality TV, whether it's, whether it's a hunt we film or meat making like last Friday, we made six videos that will be coming your way 
that was our meet we made. When I say it's reality TV, we made that meet for us and filmed it in the process so we could then educate all of you or anybody that, that needs help. Yeah, no, and I'm looking really, really forward to that content. Uh, it, it's interesting and kind of just to piggyback on what you guys said, there's there's a number of ways that you guys could take that your brand and the fact that you're showing the everyday stuff and that you're relatable people, the the fact that your YouTube channel isn't just cooking, um, isn't just processing, like you're actually putting hunting content on there means that you're going to demonetize your YouTube channel, but you guys don't care because you want to show who you really are. It's not about the bottom line. So uh, hats off to you guys, because I think that's very amendable and not a lot of people are doing that these days. Right. Thank you. I'm glad you noticed. hundred percent. So we, we, yep, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, where can the audience get a hold of you? Where can they find your content? Uh, what's your website if, so that they can check out your seasonings? Give us the gamut. Okay. The, so the, the website, we'll start with that one, The Seasoned Butcher. You see the logo in the background. I'm not completely sure how that shows up on the screen, but theseasonedbutcher.com. And then actually at the bottom of our homepage, you can get the links to our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Instagram is the underscore seasoned underscore butcher uh love for everybody to follow us there that's awesome you know we're we're uh we're learning as we go but i think i think our content's pretty cool and of course seasons just started here on the first so we're we got a bunch of guys waterfall hunting that are part of the crew um this weekend because that opened up teal season and early goose and then um the youtube channel is actually the seasoned butcher and you can subscribe to that channel. That's awesome. And that's, that's really what, you know, we're more excited about that component than anything is the chat, you know, the YouTube channel, because that's where we can post these videos. And then of course your app, which we're very excited about what you have going on, because that, that pulls the whole thing into a true, you know, hunting community where, you know, rising tide raises all ships and, and we're all like-minded and come from different you know, parts of the country and all walks, backgrounds, all sort, you know, who would have thought torn, you know, I, I didn't know you eight weeks ago. Right. Right. So, you know, the, the whole service side thing has brought us together here because we really like where you're taking this business model. I mean, I think it's a tremendous idea. And I, like I've said to you, I think for the, for the average person, it's the most valuable membership they can have in their wallet, even though you don't hand them a card, right? You know, it's, it's, it, the, you know, the savings, it'll pay for itself. And then of course the, the pro staff side of things to be able to showcase, because I, I don't think a lot of people sit back. We're so locked into being entertained that if you, you are somebody that actually wants to, to, to try to make a run at this on a channel scenario, you don't sit back and realize what an app like this can do. It can give you exposure. It can get you around other people. And I'm singing to the choir and we're no different. You know, we, we, we're not stupid. We see exactly what's going on here. And I think connecting people that, you know, it's kind of, uh, I've told you, you know, back in the day, 
um, you know, three decades ago, I was a real estate agent. And I remember going to, you know, business after hour meetings or chamber of commerce meetings. Well, that's kind of this scenario here with service side. And that's what we're excited about. So you can, you'll, you'll be able to see some of our content here again, to reiterate YouTube, the season butcher and find us on Instagram. And, you know, we're bouncing around like everybody else linking stuff together. And it's going to be a great ride. I mean, we just went live. I don't, you, you know, you've never asked this, Torn, but we just started posting content. What does it say on the channel? About six weeks ago? I think we're about five weeks. Five weeks. So we've got a lot of stuff on there already, but there's so much more in the hopper. And just because of the way we launched our business in the time of year it was, you know, we even though we shot some, you know, turkey hunting footage, we kind of missed the boat on that, right? So we've got a bunch of footage archived, but we're excited about the fall. And and I, I tell people on a on a uh, about us video that he's working on right now, come join the journey. Just watch, stick your head in once in a while, and and see how we're doing over the next six, 12, 24, 36 months. Because I I think I think people are going to really enjoy because that's that's our goal. You you hit the nail on the head, Torn is. We're not just sitting here being pitchmen. We really want to make an impact because we know if people buy the seasonings, they're going to keep buying them. That's like a foregone conclusion. Our stuff is that good. So we're focused on the education because it doesn't do you any good, Torn, if you buy seasoning and then you're uncomfortable trying to make that batch of meat, right? Right. So if we take you by the hand, step by step so that your breakfast sausage or your hot dogs or wieners taste exactly the way ours do, then you're happy. And if you're happy, we're happy, right? Mm. That's our, that's our vision. That's our goal with what we're trying to do here. Now, do we nail it on every video? Heck no, we don't. Do we finish some up? We're, it's a long day and we're getting short with each other and we're tired and want to throw the tripod and the camera over in the corner and not do the dishes at the end of the day. Yeah. We have all the same feelings. The rest of you have. The only difference is we've added some electronics to try to document that process to help everybody else out there that may be struggling with it as well. That's, that's the only difference. We're husbands, you know, we're dads, we're hunters, and now we're part of service side. I mean, it's really that simple. Yeah, no, I'm excited to see what the future brings. We've been brainstorming uh, quite a bit and there's some, there's going to be some really good content that I think the audience and all the viewers out there are going to really enjoy. I'll have all your links for your social media and your con uh, your contact information, your website in the show notes for the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you fellas getting on and thank you everybody for listening to the Whitetail Theories podcast.